Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at this morning, Luke chapter 10. I will uh, get back into the Gospel of Mark, but today we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at verse 38 through verse 42. So let's, uh, let's look at that in our Bibles. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, this morning as I come before you, I can only come before you in the only name, the name of Jesus Christ. He's made the new and living way into your presence, and I praise you for that. And Lord, I do pray that as we think about just this new year, that Lord, there's many things in our life that need to be examined many distractions that need to be removed. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that as we consider this passage this morning, that Lord, you would allow us to get a lot of the baggage out of our life. And I pray, Lord, we'd be able to narrow it down to one thing. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would enable us to see those things that we need to change, discard, and take on for the sake of growing in godliness and holiness growing in intimacy with you. And I pray this this morning in Christ's name. Amen. The title of my message really this morning is Only One Thing Necessary. Of course, you can see where I got the title from, right from the text. Every day, every day, we are confronted with so many choices. It's like, how do you feel when you go into your favorite food establishment or you go into a New Jersey diner, you pick up the menu and you find a 10-point font, six-page menu with so many things and food items to decide from, it only makes it humanly impossible to process it and to decide when the waitress comes back and say, are you ready to order? And you're just not ready yet because you just don't know what to order. See, there's too many selections. There's, there's a lot of choices. Don't you wish things were simpler? Simpler than they are. Even our Christian lives get cluttered with too many non-essentials. Often the Christian life is presented as something that is much more complicated than the Scriptures actually teach. So in a, in a quagmire of human opinion, of philosophies flying out around out there, and of religions with so many to choose from, truth seems to be lost in the shuffle. Confusion and fear grip the heart, and in the end, 
we don't make wise choices. Um, actually, we take on more garbage. And we take on more distractions. So once again, Scripture offers help. So allow me to briefly examine some scriptural examples to help us narrow down life's choices. Before I, I move into the main text, which I read this morning, notice with me the singular goal and the main focus of each of these Bible passages before I look at the Luke text. For example, in Psalm 27 in verse number 4, uh, if you like to turn there, you are welcome to, but if you are just listening at this particular point, then I'll read it to you. Because in Psalms, chapter 27, verse number 4, there is one desire that he is seeking. And notice what it says. And I want you to highlight the one thing. It says, one thing I ask from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's what he asks. Now, why does he ask and seek the presence of the Lord? For two reasons. In the passage, verse 4, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and then secondly, to meditate in his temple. So, that's one desire worth seeking. A second passage is found in the Gospel of John. And it's one conviction worth keeping. Where in John chapter 9, verse 25, it says, And he answered, and then he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Again, it's limited down to one thing. The blind man is saying, I know I never met anyone like Jesus Christ. He did something for me no one has ever done or could have done. So here is a conviction of knowing that you were transferred from the realm of blindness to the realm of sight. And no one can convince this man otherwise if that's truly the case in our own life, once we know that we have been moved from darkness to light, no one can convince us because Scripture has convicted of us of that very truth. So there's one conviction worth keeping. And then in our home group book uh, today, we'll see that there's one goal worth pursuing in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, where it says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, to the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's one goal is to press on to reach the goal and several things need to be done for that to happen. One of them is to forget, not allowing the past to cripple him from reaching that goal. And then secondly, the very reaching of it. It's not allowing the uncertainties of the future to stop him from reaching that goal in the very word 
for reaching is the word to be stretched out. It's a picture of a runner bending forward, his hands out, stretched out, and his eyes fixed on the goal. See, for the believer, it is the one goal of moving upward, moving heavenward, moving Christward. The goal is Christ. The goal is heaven. The goal is to be with Him. And then there is, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, one exchange worth making, where it says there in Mark 10, 21, looking at Him, Jesus felt a love for Him and said to Him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Meaning that exchanging everything one thought had worth for making them right with God and laying them aside for the only one who can give you worth before the Father and that's Christ alone. See, this brings me now to the text I want to look at this morning because all of those are emphasized by one thing I do, one thing I pursue, one exchange uh, is worth making. See, one thing is desire is worth seeking. This this, uh, understanding of taking life and narrowing it down to the bare basics and the, the, the one thing that we ought to do for the sake of our own spiritual life and health. So that brings me this morning to our text. A very familiar narrative in the New Testament and, of course, found right here in Luke chapter 10 and beginning in verse number 38. And what we see here is this. One posture worth assuming. It's the one posture worth assuming in life. And if you look at what it says in verse number 38, it says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now that sets up the narrative for us. It's not every day that you can invite Jesus into your home. Martha had that opportunity. So here is the Lord of heaven sitting in Martha's living room. Now, Martha's home is, uh, of course, is in Bethany, and Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. And when she invited Jesus into her home, she unexpectedly also invited 12 of his disciples. Now, imagine 13 people dropping in on you for dinner, and you're not ready. I mean, you can grab a few cans of tuna, and whatever items you have, and I know we've done this before, right, and see what we can come up with. And maybe that's what Martha was thinking, because there's no refrigeration back then. There's no, you can't go to your freezer and, and, and your microwave and defrost anything. You've got to have fresh stuff. And if you don't have it, and you're not ready, then it could be really a panic. And so, I mean, in fact, admittedly, it would be a stress-producing situation for most of us. 
immediately, though the narrative brings to our attention the reaction of the two sisters in this situation. And we learn a lot from these sisters. What's Martha doing? Well, it says in verse number 40, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. So in other words, she gets right to the task of preparing an acceptable meal for to feed everyone on that particular day. She's overburdened by the task. She is overwhelmed by the Herculean task of hospitality that must be displayed on that particular day. She wants to do her best. Now, she may have assumed that her sister Mary would get right in there with her, roll up her sleeves, and help her with this huge task. However, that was not the case. In fact, Martha found Mary relaxing. Look at it says in verse number 39. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. All right, now, of course, as you read on in this particular narrative, you notice that certain things are very much highlighted. See, Martha is scurrying around. She's not listening to Jesus' word. She is serving. Now, there's nothing wrong with serving. Serving is an essential characteristic of all of Jesus' disciples at all times. I believe there's, there's more, bo- more boiling in the kitchen than water in this case. Martha was boiling inside. So her serving attitude actually ends up stirring into sinful emotions. And at that particular point, this lesson becomes very practical for all of us. That Jesus' disciples, when they place activity when they place doing things as a higher priority than listening to the Lord, we will most likely likely fall into certain blunders. In fact, Martha actually helps us to understand those blunders to avoid. In fact, there's three blunders that she makes that we can avoid. And here's the first blunder. The first blunder is found in verse number 40, where it says, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Her first blunder is becoming distracted in activity to the point that listening to the Lord becomes a secondary issue. Not a number one issue, but a secondary issue. Now, so that means when you stop listening you start worrying and start complaining. You become doubtful that you can trust the Lord. Matter of fact, that's what worry portrays. Worry portrays that you do not trust the Lord. Worry twists our emotions and distorts our spiritual perception of circumstances and reality, which usually leaves us frantic, trying to keep all the plates spinning. And when that happens, then, of course, our first blunder takes place. 
that we are not prepared for the activity uh, because remember what James tells us. He tells us to be a doer of the word, you have to first be a listener of the word. Listening always comes first. So what is the antidote for avoiding such a blunder? Well, keep listening to the Lord. That's the antidote. Keep listening to the Lord as your highest priority. See, the one necessary thing before all activity is listening to the Lord, listening to His Word, seated at Jesus' feet, even when all this stuff and all these pressures are around you. See, that's the first blunder. The second blunder is found in verse number 40 also. And the second blunder is this, charging the Lord that he doesn't care. Look what it says. And she came up to him and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? So see, here it is. Here's the second blunder. You begin to charge God about not caring about you. Not caring about your circumstance that you're in right now. So see, in other words, Martha is bothered that the Lord seems oblivious to the fact that she is overworked, that this task is too big for her. And so finally, she interrupts Jesus' teaching, and she finally says to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving? And then she says this, then tell her to help me. You're not telling her to help me. Don't you see? See, see the point is that she's looking at the circumstances and the, the situation, but she's not looking at it from the spiritual glasses she ought to have on. She's more concerned about the now and not concerned about the eternal. And you know what? If we have not said it before, at times we think it. At times we think, Lord, you don't care what's going on in my life. I've thought it. When times get bad and things seem twisted and confusing, I've thought it. And I know you've thought it. And so, so when you don't cultivate a habitual lifestyle of listening to the voice of the Lord in Scripture, then what happens is we become suspicious of God's love and care for us. In fact, the last book of Malachi, they had that problem. And the Lord called it hypocrisy. That they were saying, the Lord was saying, I love you. And they were saying, Lord, where have you loved us? Where? We don't see it in our life where you loved us. This is going wrong. That's going wrong. This is happening in my life. I'm filled up with anxiety. I'm wound up like an eight-day clock. Where, Lord, do you care for me? See, sometimes we make that blunder. And it's a blunder we ought to learn to avoid on a regular basis. So maybe in your circumstance right now in which you are, you, you could be tempted in thinking, Lord, you don't care whatever it may be, that you have been praying 
for a lost spouse for years and still they're not saved. That you have been praying for the salvation of your family members and relatives and there seems to be no change. Matter of fact, there seems to be a greater distance than an opportunity. Your marriage possibly has taken some heavy blows over the past year and you have received very little relief in your circumstances and you begin to think, Lord, don't you care about me? Don't you know what's going on? Or you've been praying for one of your children that have not come to the Lord yet and you've been seeking the Lord in prayer for a long time and still it doesn't seem like they're at all coming but actually being driven further away. Or maybe you're a single person and have been praying that the Lord would send some favorable prospects your way and there seems to be none in sight. And you begin to think, Lord, I've been praying this a long time. Don't you care about me? Or maybe you have been hoping and praying that the Lord would open up some new job opportunity and rescue you from the situation that you're in on your job, but it doesn't seem like there's anything that's coming your way that's a good prospect. And you begin to think, Lord, don't you care? See, Mar Martha really helps us here because we have all been in this place we have all, if we have not said it, we've thought it. And these circumstances and ones like them can surely tempt us to be suspicious of God's love and care for us. And that is not a good place to be. In fact, if we are in that place, we are probably going to be filled with worry and anxiety, filled with stress, and filled with confusion, because that's where, really where it leaves you. So, however your, whatever your circumstances are, you have to conclude this. Your circumstances may not change. But it surely doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It surely doesn't mean that God is not demonstrating his love toward you. In fact, with a regular diet of listening to the voice of the Lord in Scripture, it will constantly remind us of the constant care that God has for His children every single day, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. God doesn't take His eyes off His children. He is in constant care for you. In fact, as he ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father, he is making intercession for us before the Father, before his throne. See, if we begin to think like this, then we won't look around and think and see what God has been doing. How he has blessed you, how he has answered prayer, how he is intimately involved and active in your life in all kinds of ways. But if you stop listening to the Word of God, then you will be listening to something else. And when you start listening to yourself, you're in trouble. When you start listening to the rebel inside of you, the sin nature, you're in trouble. And so am I. See, that's why you need to talk to yourself. 
You know what you need to talk to yourself about? Truth. About doctrine. About what you're learning in the Word of God. You need to preach to yourself outwardly. Don't care if anybody thinks you're crazy around you. Just do it for your own spiritual health. Because believe me, you let that rebel inside of you, that sin nature that's still there, you let him talk, her talk, you're in deep trouble because they have nothing good to say except sin. God doesn't care? Well, then go out here and do this. Go do what you like. Go do what you used to do. Go find your old friends where you used to have fun. Go do that. See, it'll convince you against what you know is right. But a regular, constant exposure to the voice of the Lord will constantly transform our minds and clean our consciences and keep that rebel inside of you at bay. And the voice will be louder of the Lord than it is of that sinful nature. And you know what happens? That's when you get victory over sin. When you start saying no to sin. Because why? I know God cares for me. In fact, like scriptures like this, where it says like in Romans that whole chapter in Romans 8, but in verse number 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. And then it says this, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Who shall do that? Shall life or death or angels or principalities or power? Nothing will. See, that's where we need to be reminded. So, if we do get caught in that mindset, in that blunder, in that sinful mindset, we will quickly recover. We will quickly recover. And so, I've learned this, that sometimes my circumstances don't change. Sometimes I let my circumstances change me. But there's one thing that has not changed. God's relationship with me because of what he's done on my behalf. I, have, I may have changed, but he has not. He's constantly pursuing us. So here, in this particular text, to charge the Lord that he doesn't care is really a grievous sin. And it's one that doesn't help you advance in your spiritual growth and maturity. It does not. Here's a third blunder, though, and this leads into it, found in verse number 40. It says this in the last part of the verse. It says, after she accuses, Lord, don't you care, that my sister has left me to do all the serving. In other words, the third blunder is you begin to find fault with others. You begin to blame others. It's the whole blame shift game, you know? She's the problem. She should be helping me. She knows better. Possibly Mary was Martha's younger sister. So Mary, uh, Martha most likely had the authority there. And she could have pulled rank. She appealed to Jesus. She didn't really go to Mary. She appealed to Jesus to say, to Lord, tell her to help me. Well, that doesn't happen. Mary never leaves the feet of Jesus. She never lifts a finger to provide one part of serving for that meal. In fact, the Bible really never teaches us that they ever actually ever ate the meal. 
And that's not the point. The point is really what comes next. See, when you're not listening to the voice of the Lord in Scripture, you tend to become impatient with others. You tend to find fault and nitpick them. And why is that? Because you haven't been listening and waiting on the Lord. That's why. Because what? You're up to your own thoughts again. You're, you're left to your own thoughts. And so, see, the heart of Martha is very much like our own heart. Yet if you look at the Lord's gentle and kind and thoroughly clarifying rebuke to Martha, you'll see how patient he was. One thing that the Lord did in this situation is that he allowed Martha to expose her heart completely. He did not say one thing patiently teaching uh, there, whoever was sitting at his feet with Mary. He was patiently doing it, and he let Martha get it all out. She laid her heart right on the table. She exposed herself. And how does Jesus respond to her? Well, if you look at the response in verse number 41, it says, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Mar-, anytime the scripture uses a repeat of something, like, you know, truly, truly, Martha, Martha, that means you better listen. In other words, he had to get Martha's attention because she was not listening. And sometimes God has to get our attention. He has to speak more than once to us. He has to intervene more than once in our life to get our attention because we are so distracted. And we think we're not distracted. That's the deceptive part of it. But he says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. You've got so much baggage in your life. You've got to clear out that whole thing before you can even hear one thing or listen to one thing or do one thing that's worth anything. So Jesus does not, what's amazing is Jesus does not excuse her fleshly attitude. He doesn't say to her, Martha, Martha, it's all right. He doesn't say that. He doesn't excuse her attitude. And he does not empathize with her at all. He does not at all say to her, that, listen, Martha, you're having a bad day. I know this is a tough circumstance. Everything's all right. No. He let her see her sin. He exposed he, the heart that she exposed to him. She, he turned it around and let her see it. So Martha was very busy. She was very industrious. She was a practical woman. But will be forever remembered in Scripture for her preoccupation. I don't think she knew that this was going to be written for all the world and the generations to come to read about you. But nonetheless, thank the Lord, Martha did recover because in John chapter 11, when Lazarus died, who comes running to Jesus first? Martha. Martha. So it looks like Martha learned her lesson and that she learn from this situation here that even though she was going to be remembered for all her preoccupation and one thing that's very clear about it love was not motivating Martha's serving love was not motivating her serving anxiety was motivating her serving pressure was motivating her serving and see that that could quickly get us in the realm we shouldn't be so 
anxiety over, over what? Well, it doesn't say specifically, but of course the circumstances. And we can see ourselves in Martha. She was overwhelmed by all the stuff she thought she needed to do so she can make a proper meal for her guest. She missed the spiritual meal of Jesus. She missed the spiritual meal of Jesus' teaching that really mattered. That's what she missed. And if she keeps missing it, it's not going to be healthy and beneficial for her spiritually at all. In fact, it was a kind of prideful anxiety how she thought maybe others would perceive her, giving really precious time to things that are not wrong but are not necessary. See, things are not necessarily wrong or sinful, but they are unnecessary. They clutter your life. They confuse your life. They bog down your spiritual growth, and they're not necessary. You can actually let them go. They are distractions. The urge that she had is, i got to get this project done. But that isn't love, and it's not real serving, at least not on the heart level. It is a self-exaltation, kind of a masquerading as a diligent, competent, productive person. So what's driving us? in times like these? Well, it could be the fear of man. It could be the desire for the praise of men. So what we do is we scurry around, and in the process, we neglect the most important things. And what is the most important thing? What is the posture worth assuming? Well, if you look back at verse 39, let me remind you of it. Here's the posture. Seated and listening. It is seated and listening. That's the posture that tunes out all the unnecessary distractions all around us. In verse number 39, she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. See, there is the key. If you are to avoid all these blunders, we need to imitate Mary, her devotion to the Lord. She chose the one necessary thing. You know, when we think about that, uh, I was, I stopped at Cabela's, you know, the big, sports store in Pennsylvania there. And it was interesting. We're checking out, and they hand us a slip of paper. And the slip, slip of paper was about um, taking a day and fasting with social media. And I said, this is very interesting. But you know what? Maybe we should take that advice. We need to fast all social media because how distracting is that? Especially when you have a, a phone, an iPad beeping and buzzing and vibrating and all kinds of things to get your attention. And you know what? After a while, it kind of conditions us. I'm looking at my phone when I don't need to look at my phone. 
I'm looking at the same message I just looked at because I got another message that beeped on top of that. You know what I mean? And then before you know it, we are distracted by the things that we ought to be doing. Maybe I think my own opinion is that we need to leave our iPhones and our iPads home or in our car if we're not using them as our Bible when we come to worship and not be distracted to look at our email while the Word of God's being preached. I think that would be disrespectful to the Lord to do that. See, I think that there are certain things we really need to consider in our life uh, in, a, in a more specific way to not let, when we get up in the morning, if we have a routine to read the Word of God, to pray, and then all of a sudden you're going to your phone first, you're going to your iPads first, you go to your computer, and all of a sudden your mind's off, distracted from where you're going by something you just read, maybe two sentences, and you're done. You're done, unless those distractions are eliminated. doesn't mean you don't, don't use them, it's that you use them in the right way. You Tune out all the unnecessary distractions around you. For what reason? So you can listen to the Word of God. Now, why wasn't Mary distracted? It looks like Mary was enthralled with Jesus. She's listening to Jesus teach, and she's drinking in the water of life. She's eating the bread of life. She hungered so much for the Word of God that she couldn't break away from it for one second to answer any of the distractions calling for her attention, even her own sister. Maybe I should say that Jesus had her divine attention. And when God has your divine attention, there's not many things that could distract you. So, is this the posture that you're taking? When getting ready to listen to the Word of God, read or preached or taught, do you come to the Word of God hungering and thirsting because you believe that's the one thing that you know is necessary for your soul? Are you gripped and captivated by Jesus Christ and what he has done? Knowing that you can never learn as much as you need to know about him, about what he's done, about what he's going to do? Are you constantly drifting off and distracted in your mind by different things and not really seated at Jesus' feet? Not really listening to his word. By the way, I want you to see what posture Jesus was pleased with. He commended Mary on having chosen the good portion, but notice what it says in verse 42. It says, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Meaning this, that Mary not only made the best choice, she made the eternal choice that what she received from God would never be taken from her. See, that's the kind of food you want to eat. You want to eat eternal food. You want to eat food that's going to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Martha was wasting her time, Jesus corrected her. So if you feel worried and troubled by the many cares of the world, if you feel overwhelmed by tasks, if you are easily distracted from Jesus, stop and ask the Lord to help you so that you will choose the one, the only one thing necessary. Because Scripture narrows things down for us. It narrows our choices down. One desire worth seeking, there's nothing like the presence of God. There's one conviction worth keeping, there's no one like Jesus Christ. There's one goal worth pursuing, moving upward and heavenward, Christward. There's one exchange worth making, exchanging everything you and I thought had worth for Christ alone. And there's one posture worth assuming, seated and really listening to the Word of God. So hopefully, Scripture narrowed some things down for you today, narrowed it down to one necessary thing. Now, we must simply devote our time to listening and waiting on God. The only issue are, are you listening? And by now, you should have concluded that if you have been listening, that the primary aspect of listening involves several things. It involves reading the Word of God. It involves the study of Scripture. It, of course, involves, along with that, listening to preaching, really listening, and, and making note in your mind and on paper. All right, And those are the practical things that can hedge us against making any of the blunders that Martha made. But are you willing to commit yourself to the practical aspects of the one necessary thing? For example, of reading the Bible through in a year. I challenged you last time to do that. And I thank the Lord that as I challenged you that, you bought, you bought up all the one-year Bibles. And uh, I, we have to order some more. We need to order some more you know, those Bibles. But things that if you, you're not doing that, to make a commitment that you'll start doing that. And then or and, and to a disciple is to pray every day for a, a portion of time in adoration to the Lord, in confession of sin, in thanking the Lord for the things he's given you, and supplication for others. That should be a daily thing that we do. And in doing that, we will eliminate distractions before we do anything else. And the disciple uh, may be possibly committing things to memory, Scripture to memory. So if, if you take this as top priority, you will commit to reading through the Bible this coming year. If you take this as top priority, you will practice committing to memory Scripture. Uh, in fact, I think in a couple of weeks we're going to have a sign-up sheet on the back table that if you want to engage in a Bible memory course, uh, we're going to you can put your name on that, and then we'll give you passages of Scripture to read and to memorize, and maybe we can meet together in groups and uh, see if we're you know kind of keep ourselves accountable to do that. You know, when I was in Bible college, one of the one of the first exercises I had in um, 
one of my theology courses was that I had to read and memorize and put a, and actually be tested on them a hundred passages of scripture in 16 weeks. I thought it was such a daunting exercise, but I ended up loving it. And you know, some of those passages that I memorized back then, I still remember today. It like got burned in my memory. And, um, so, you know, it's important that, see, these are the practical aspects. But you know what? We can all do all those things in a very mechanical way. But, so there's got to be a devotional aspect where you are aware that God speaks through his written word and you are ready to listen to the Lord's voice and wait on him. It's not just coming to the Lord, reading and praying. It's waiting and listening. What is the Lord teaching you through what you're reading? Through, through what you're listening, through what you heard preached. What is he teaching you, and what are you actually putting into practice? Are you listening to what he's saying to you? This is not just about Martha anymore. This is about you and I. This is about the devotional aspects of our life. Really, lis- real listening requires uninterrupted, undistracted times of listening instead of talking. Sometimes we need to shut our mouth. We talk too much. And we need to listen. I think if we consider the devotional aspect, if you take that as a top priority, you will practice to consciously refuse to let the distractions of the day infringe upon your time with the Lord. So text, emails, tweets, Twitters, phone calls, and everything else has to be left second place or third place, not first place. And then if you take this as a top priority, you'll devote quality time to express your dependence on God, depending and, and, de- and deepening your intimacy with him. So the question would be, what is the one necessary thing? The one necessary thing is not just sitting at Jesus' feet listening. The one necessary thing is intimacy with God, because that's where it leads. It's not just mechanical. It's a relationship. It's an intimacy uh, with the Lord. It's not just listening, studying, reading, memorizing. Those are all practical things we can do, but it's this devotional thing where we are seeking for intimacy with God. We want to know the Lord more. We want to have a relationship with him all the time. And we don't want to commit the blunders that Martha committed over and over again. So that's my challenge to you uh, for this coming year. So may this year be a very spiritually productive year in your life in which you start removing the distractions and the clutter so that one necessary thing is in place this year. If you can do that one thing, I think that at the end of the year, you'll find a lot of spiritual growth and maturity. If you can remove those distractions, you're going to find that your focus on the Lord is going to be more crystal clear. If you can do these things, and both on a practical and devotional way, your intimacy with Christ will become deeper and more abiding. And once you get there, you won't want to leave.
you will not want to leave because you're going to get a sense of the presence of God that you cannot have any other way. There is no easy three points in a poem to spiritual maturity. I'm sorry, there's not. And all God's people said, what? Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your people. I pray that you would bless them with the things we talked about today. I pray, Lord, they would become a reality in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would give them sober thinking this week to be able to do the things they must to be able to organize or reorganize their life so, Lord, their time with you and their pursuit of this one thing, intimacy with you, would become a reality. And, Lord, I pray that you would allow them to fight to get it, to do everything they need to do to have it. And I pray, Lord, they would experience the same response from Jesus that Mary received. What she has done and what she has chosen will not be taken away from her. I pray that for us. And I ask it in Jesus' name.